What's up, Underground? This week we are interviewing Lucy Boston. Lucy is based in Kansas City, Missouri, and is an executive associate and prayer strategist with Global Catalytic Ministries, a ministry network of underground churches in the Middle East bringing Muslims to Christ through disciple-making movements. So Lucy serves this growing network through communications, equipping, and ministry development. She and her husband have an Isaiah 19 mandate, which means networking prayer along a specific region of the Middle East, according to Isaiah 19.23. And they're both passionate about Israel, the Arab world, and the Persian world. Lucy's key focus is connecting praying people to the real news from the underground church for awareness and prayer covering. She leads and coordinated various weekly prayer calls centered around praying for frontier workers, the salvation of Muslims, and disciple-making movements. So, hope you enjoy this podcast. Let's jump in. And do you guys have an agenda? Of, uh, we always have an agenda, yet. We I mean, you have, like, have like, a, like a meeting agenda of like things you want to hit, or we're no, just going to no. let you freeze. This is really like the most free-flowing <laughs> podcast. We should, we should probably be more prepared. Than I, I disagree. Yeah, I do too, but. <laughs> no, okay, yeah, so we, we've been I sitting. Have Right. We have, yeah, we have a yeah. Theme. We got a theme that we just run around in for a while, and then Jesus usually does some things with it. It's great. Oh, I love it. That works. Yeah. So that's kind of where we're at now. Where it's like, okay, so we started in this big picture of, um, kind of what does it look like to have a mindset of movement, and so we we're looking at various kind of paradigm shifts uh, that we, you know, and just like things that characterize uh, what happens when the gospel moves. And so we started off with this just idea of extraordinary prayer and fasting. You know, in America, we like to, I don't know, I call it transactional prayer. We like to, we like to pray to get stuff or maybe a little, you know, just however you want to define our prayer life in America. We, you know, put that up against what we see in movement prayer. And we're like, okay, what are some of the characteristics? What can we learn as missionaries, everyday missionaries in Kansas City uh, from the prayer practices within actual disciple-making movements around the world. So I just happened to know a friend who uh, might be able to speak to that named Lucy Boston. Lucy, how are you, my friend? <laughs> it's Good. recording now. That's why you, if my voice sounded suddenly like more of my podcast voice, that's why. <laughs> well, it actually sounded like you were just talking to me personally. I didn't even know that a, a switch had flipped. Oh, oh yeah. His switch flipped, all right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just, it suddenly, it just clicks up as far as authority. Oh, man, that guy must know what he's talking about. It's a trick. It's yeah. a joke. No. It's because no one can see your face on a podcast. <laughs> I have a face for podcasts. <laughs> that one wasn't a good joke. Anyway, go ahead. I'm embarrassed. You have a great face for podcasts. Oh, thanks. So, so our agenda is basically like, Lucy, we want to hear from you um, on some of the, the major characteristics of what prayer looks like uh, within movements, and particularly even what you have seen on the ground and what you train your teams in. Um, and some of just the, yeah, let's tell some stories, hang out. That's probably that's probably the agenda, if you're asking about what the, what the idea is, just uh, your personal experience, so stories around that, uh, the idea that prayer is preceding movements and then how prayer fuels movements, and then any ways that you've trained people in those ideas. It, it feels weird to talk about training for prayer, but it's also, yeah, you got to learn skills. Mm -hmm. You got to learn how to communicate. So 
I don't know. I don't know how to say that any better. It doesn't. It doesn't sound good to me. But I, I do know it it's important, great, Brian. And hey, also, um, we are going to try not to say any specifics about you know any anything about your organization or stuff on the ground. Partly just for you know safety reasons. So if you choose whatever you choose to reveal, um, we will go with that. But we're we're probably not going to. We'll be a little more vague in our question asking, just for for safety reasons. And can yeah, we? Yeah. Can we add that in there? You want me to cut out what he just said, too? Okay. No, that's totally fine. I just want people to know, literally, uh, uh, the context that, you know, this isn't coming from just somebody that is, you know, sitting in their living room. <laughs> Although you might be in your living room. <laughs> right. You're not in your living room. <laughs> you're, a pra- you're a practitioner is what I mean. You've got real stories and your your heart invested into this. So we want you to take it. Appreciate that. Well, thank you um, for the introduction. I think the context is really important. Um, so, as a praying person, I mean, I was when I first came to the Lord. I spent hours and hours in prayer a day, and I thought it was because I was I'm slow, I'm dysfunctional in that that it takes me a really long time to grasp a little thing and. You know, I would sit and it would take me a long time just to read through a couple verses, um, you know, just connecting with God. It seemed like it would take a couple hours just to like wet my palate. You know, it's like after two hours, then I'm finally ready to really engage with God. Right. And so like just since the beginning of like my early days as a believer, I, I got saved when I was 19. And from the very beginning, I was spending you know, six to 10 hours a day in prayer. Now I didn't call it prayer at that time. I called it, you know, crying, moaning, whining, begging the church secretary to let me in and play the piano and get on my face and play worship music and dance and just anything you can imagine. Um, There was a season I spent hours every night, maybe three or four hours a night praying and asking the Lord to fill me with the Holy Spirit and I wanted the power gifts, you know, I was contending for signs and wonders. I mean, so I, I might be a unique -er person (laughs) in that the average Christian might not um, spend that quantity of time with God naturally, but that was how I was born in the spirit um, as a person of prayer. And then as I, grew in the Lord, um, you know, it became became evident that really there's nothing that we can do without hearing from God. And in movement um, theology, <laughs> at the very cusp of movements is hearing from God, right? Because isn't that what disciple-making movements is all about? It's, it's you read the word, you do what it says. It's obedience-based discipleship and how can we obey if we haven't had revelation and even unbelievers and so in our context to just to give you that that contextual picture i'm a person of prayer i've always been a person of prayer and um the the disciple making movement ministry to which i work in is specifically with muslims in restricted nations places where without the holy spirit you die Hmm. you just don't make it so there's a reliance on hearing from God. You don't just, you know, decide I'm going to go down to this street and look for people to talk to today because 
if the Holy Spirit did not direct you to go down that street, that could be a death sentence. So in the context um, where our ministry does DMM, we rely 100% on prayer as a daily practice of hearing from God. Mm. So there's lots of different facets of prayer, right? So I'll just say one area, of course, is deepening your own life in God. If you are not engaging with God, like in a real way, going deep in the spirit and spending time with the Lord personally, it's going to show in your DMM. It's going to show in your groups. It's going to show in your leadership development. It's going to show in, you know, persons of peace that are being found. It's going to show in how many groups you have. <laughs> so your personal life in God is huge. And it's a part, it's a huge part of prayer. Hmm. Secondly, your team, your, your, Core, your core leaders, I would say, your core leaders praying together, there's going to be no unity. There's going to be no agreement. You know, I can talk about that for hours too. Mm. Your core team has to pray together. And then because whatever you're going to multiply is going to be whatever your team is doing, you will not have generations praying if you don't set that culture at the level of your leadership. And then the third dynamic is, you know, what I would say, your, your prayer support. And that can be in-country prayer support if you're, you know, a, a, a minister in a specific nation um, or your international prayer network. So I do all of that. I do equipping people in their personal life with God. I equip teams in their prayer strategy with their leaders. And then I also equip intercessors globally for building prayer networks, um, both in-country and international support networks for disciple-making movements in regions or in specific. Man, so I wish that you had something to offer us <laughs> today in this podcast. Man. <laughs> well, let me... Ask me some questions. <laughs> let's, say, let's say you're talking to a missionary in Kansas City who is hearing this right now. I'm just trying to make this... Let's go really practical. You're, yeah, talking, yeah. you're talking to a missionary in Kansas City who is thinking, I'm buying into this. I want to see gospel saturation in this city. I am, I'm burdened for this. God is stirring in my soul, and I've heard this community talk about extraordinary prayer and fasting, and this is something important that we need to step into. What's step one for me in that? Then, then you can go to step two and step three if you want. <laughs> Well, step one is always, it begins and ends with your relationship with God, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The first commandment is always where you start. And the second commandment is like it. Hmm. But it is central to everything that we do. And that is if we are not wholeheartedly in love with God, then that's, that's where we have to go back and, and, you know, I can give you guys some tips for those of you who might be listening and saying, you know, I'm just struggling in my personal discipline of, you know, just personally engaging with God. Um, it's easier to do commandment two. It is so much easier to love your neighbor. I know, I mean, that's hard. It is hard to love your neighbor, okay? And so that's saying something. Huh. If it's 
easier <laughs> to love your neighbor than to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mm, that's good. But the Lord put it in that order because it's the overflow of our love and our devotion to God. Mm-hmm. That overflow is what people see in us. In fact, I was in a teaching this morning with the founder of our organization and he said this and it just like, it just hit me. So this is kind of like, we'll take a little tiny segue to a little DMM coaching. Okay. Do For it. all you DMMers out there, you know, like, like this coaching. So, so the question was posed, you know, you know, when you're coaching somebody and they're making a mistake, you know, like what's the, what, are, what do you see the most often? Like, what are they making? What are people messing up with when they're trying to engage people in conversation, finding persons of peace, da, 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 da. his response, his response in, remember we're coaching people that are messing up in the way they're doing their engagement. Now we're not presenting Jesus. Mm-hmm. We're just engaging Muslims in conversation. The mistake is that you're either not showing enough joy, Mm. you're not being exuberant enough, you're not making people want what you have, you're Mm. not expressive about how amazing your life is because there's something different about you, (laughs) and you're being mellow tone in the way you talk, you're just like a monotone, like, yeah, well, my life is great, I'd love to have coffee with you sometime. Like, can you imagine, like, all of a sudden that took me back and I said, you know what you need to do to not fake that? Think about it. Yeah. What do you need to do to not fake how awesome Christianity is? Be with Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. You have to actually love God. Yeah. Yeah. You have to actually have a rich life in God that's so rich that God is like you're like you love God more than hurts donuts and like <laughs> donuts are ridiculous you guys <laughs> like you gotta love God so much that you look forward to him more than your latte you look forward to him more than your dessert you look forward to him more than thank God there's beef back in the barbecue shops like mm. You have to actually look forward to your time with God more than you crave anything else in the world. Like he has to bring that joy to your face. And then he said this too. It's not just about how you have to be overly expressive about your joy, but you have to also be adamant, be intense and be so, um, You have to discredit things that are not about the ways of God. You have to, by the way we walk and the way we talk, the expressions on our face, the zeal, the the energy, we have to present contrast in our conversations. So how do we do that if we we are not alive Mm -hmm. in our prayer life? How do we do that if we're not like alive in God? And if the word isn't alive, we've all had seasons like that. Yeah. You know, you read the word and it's like, I'm just reading it today to check it off where it's not like engaging you. But what I'm saying is that 
Um, yes, there are tools, to, and I, which I'd love to give you. There's tools to strengthen your to strengthen yourself in the Lord. Um, I actually have some very specific tools I call like daily vitamins. Yeah. And um, one of my favorite books in the world, I could recommend. I'm not a great reader, so I'll just put it out there. If I ever give you a book suggestion, <laughs> that means that it's like so good that a sixth grader would read it 12 times. <laughs> so my book suggestions are really good. Um, so the book that's called The Way of the Heart by Henry Nowen. Talk to me. You're going to get Brian Henry. excited here. Here we go. Here we go. <clears throat> All right. So famous quote, famous uh, excerpt that comes from this book. You've probably heard it before, but this book is where it comes from. Is he says that that the whole point of words is to grasp an idea, right? So words are meant to lead you to a truth. Once the idea is grasped, the words are forgotten. Mm. So just take that for a second. Mm -hmm. When the idea is grasped, it no longer matters how you got there. So, so I would say that my biggest secret for deepening your life in God is it doesn't matter how you get there. Once you get into the presence, hmm. that's the point. It's in the presence that you have revelation of the word, that you're eating the word, the word becomes digestible. It's in the presence that you interact with God and you hear from God and you get strategy and zeal for your family to really contend for your household and your neighborhood. It doesn't come without that moment. So what do you do to get you there? Yeah. The words are important, right? Right. Because they are the mode to get you there. So I have tools that I use. And the reason why I lay it out that way is because the tools that I use are for the purpose of stirring myself up in my spirit so that I can engage with the real living God. And at any time you feel religious, like you're going through a prayer list and there's no life, you move on to the next thing. And you go through these tools, you go through these different things that I'll, I'll give you, you go through them for the purpose of hitting that one thing that all of a sudden now you've got a wave you're going to ride. Mm -hmm. And you set that paper aside, and now you go into that wave with, with the Lord. Mm -hmm. That's where you want to go in your daily prayer life. Now, I have routine. I have routine, like, you know, I like my coffee. I have a little thing I do, right? Every morning, I make my coffee. I fill up my pitcher. I have all these different things I bring up here to my, my prayer space that I have. And I like the routine. But there's something in that routine where as I'm going through that routine, it's like I'm feeling the presence mm -hmm. getting stronger and stronger because there's an anticipation where I know when I sit down and I take that first sip of coffee and I light my frankincense burner or whatever your little thing is that you do. And I put on John Thurlow or whatever. Okay, <laughs> We all have our little routine. I'm feeling the presence getting closer and closer and closer. And I think that that's the beauty of routine. Oh yeah, for sure. That's beauty. But we can't rely on that. We can't rely on that routine. 
So we do want to shift that, switch it up. But I do encourage you, there is something about, you know how they say you don't want to study in bed? Mm. You ever heard that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you have a big test or whatever, don't sit in bed and study for it because your body knows what your bed is for. Yep. And it's not for studying. And so you won't remember things that you study in bed. It's like the thing. Yeah. Well, my body knows. Right. Yep. That when I'm burning frankincense and when John Thurlow's playing, that it's time to meet with God. Mm, that's so good. Man, that is good, Lisa. I start getting aligned yeah. as I'm walking up here to my room. Yeah. I've got this little practice I do to get into a space of centering prayer. With centering prayer, there's this this place that I kind of sit in my mind. It's a physical place from my childhood, this creek uh, that ran through our property. And I, well, I went, it wasn't our property. I was on somebody else's property. <laughs> but, but to get there, I had to cross through this one little hedge of woods and then I had to turn and go down in this open field and then turn again and go down these this path to get to that one spot. And so every morning that's part of my routine is saying, like I, I just say it out loud, you know, well, not out loud, but in my head. I'm walking through this space. I'm leaving my house behind. I'm going through this open field. I'm seeing this. I'm turning down. The, like I know I'm getting closer and closer to that place. And the more that I do that, you know, the more that I feel like closer to that spot where I want to be. But it really is like I don't I don't talk about that routine much. I don't really share that with people, but it's a pathway for me. You know, I know it's kind of, yeah. it's not literal, but it is yeah. in my mind, you know, that's the pathway that I'm walking to get to that place. But mm-hmm. if I try to immediately just go there, I don't arrive usually, you know, I have to take those, those steps to get to that place. Mm. Yeah, man, that's so good. So, I mean, I, I will tell you that I feel like I've, I've heard or read most things that we discuss on this podcast, even when I'm like, yeah, totally. I feel like a lot of that was new information for me. I mean, just on a personal level, like, I, I mean, I, 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 the last thing you say, I resonate in my own history, but just some of the things that you said. And I mean, that's like, that's key. This is key stuff, Lucy, where it's like, um, what, what I'm trying to say is what am I trying to say, Brian? I'm saying it's key stuff in the fact that we want to unleash real people who don't just do, just don't regurgitate tools that we give them, but understand that it's the presence of God and only out of the overflow of that are we going to see fruitful ministry. Um, And so I feel like you touched on some of that part one of your three steps. Um, I know you probably have a lot more to it, but I'm wondering if you can now go on to maybe part two, except Brian's saying, hold up. Well, the only other thing I was going to say is, just to encourage those that are listening, one of the things you said a minute ago was like, this is a routine that you do, but you're using this Henry now an idea of the, the words aren't the point or, or the, when you get there, the words are forgotten. I was doing a coaching call this morning with a crew and we were talking about how these are tools that when I began disciple making or began to intentionally live into uh, an incarnational way in in my network of relationships. I needed these physical tools in front of me. They were close by. Now mm-hmm. I don't need them. They're locked in my brain. I don't have to pull out a sheet of paper and write down the things that I'm thinking about. It just happens. And so as you're listening to these, they are crutches for you to use, right? I mean, you need to write them down. You need to do the physical step. It's it's why when we're kids, we've got the huge 
you know, barriers with the dotted line on the sheet of paper so we can learn to write a lowercase a and stay there. Now you don't need the dotted line. You know how high lowercase a goes, you know, so it's like, listen to these tools, listen to these things, write them down, use them as crutches, because eventually you won't need them anymore in, mm-hmm. in the hard and fast way because they're going to become ingrained. They're going to become rhythms that you use to help you get somewhere. Right. And I mean, and that is the point. That's the hope. Um, but there's times in our lives where we fall off the wagon and yeah. we, and we got to go back sometimes to the real simple, you know, like declarations, you know, like I have a list of declarative prayers. Yeah. The things I used to struggle with big time uh, before I was a believer, kind of came in like the first 10 years of my marriage. It was really intense because I was very negative. It was like everything out of my mouth was negative. And I noticed that my mom was negative. My sister was negative. I, I'm the only believer in my family. And so all my family, I was around them. Um, all my friends, I noticed even my, my Christian friends, they were all just negative slanted people. And my husband was always pointing it out to me. So we had this little code that we would do where if he could sense that I was about to get negative, he'd put his hand on my, on my thigh and he'd stop me. And I would just, so I, I began to just, and I said, okay, this is great. I've controlled the behavior, but the thoughts are still there. And so I did this practice, which I can give you guys this, if you have somewhere you're sending researches that we did this practice of these very specific declarations. And I'd say it every morning as if it was just a vitamin that I would take. And I did, and I said these declarations every day and they're just the word. They're all just scriptures um, every single day for four or five years. And then one day I realized that I couldn't remember the last time I had a negative thought. Mm. I, I went from being the negative person who always like had some negative thing to say, or like, you know what I mean? You've got someone in a circle. They're the person that you always ask for information. Like, hey, I haven't seen so-and-so in a while. What what happened to them? And then that's the person that always knows what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, d- you didn't hear? Let me tell you what happened. Because <laughs> we're all pastors, right? So, um, so I went from that person to being the other person. The person who always has good news mm. and, and um, you know, and that's the kind of people we want to be, but that's transforming your mind. Yeah. And so part of what should happen as we get more intimate with Christ. So this is the message of intimacy, right? Love the Lord, your God, first commandment. Part of what should happen is as we grow close to God, our mind should be renewed. And if our mind is renewed, you know what? I don't cuss because I don't have a cuss word in my heart to come out of my mouth. I don't say bad things because I don't have bad things rolling around in my mind to come out of my mouth. You know, we get a handle on our heart. We get a handle on our mind. We get that in the secret place. So again, when we talk about interacting with unbelievers or our neighbors, why would they want to be like someone who's reflecting that negative behavior, they, why would I even want to multiply that? <laughs> you know, I, don't want to, I don't want that to be multiplied. So one of my theories is that the number one pe- reason why believers in America do not reach out to their neighbors is because deep down inside, they do not want to replicate themselves. Mm. 
That's a that's a, that's a little bit of a drop the mic moment. <laughs> I, I hope I hope that brings you back to that place of I need to work on my prayer life. <laughs> yeah, no, that's 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 so good. And so I don't even want to go back to, but I do because like that's I mean that's so so huge and so key. And I think okay, so okay, you said that's one theory <laughs> that you have of why we don't replicate ourselves. What are what are some other reasons why you think that we just kind of skip over this part, even when we talk about movements and talk about disciple making from the ground up? Why do we why do we skip over the extraordinary prayer piece so easily? Probably, um, I, I do have a lot of theories. One, <laughs> of the, one of my other big theories is the same reason why I, I don't go to the gym. You know, um, I'm the kind of person who ends up paying the fat tax. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm going to do this. And we don't see instant results. And we get wearisome in the discipline. I saw this post on Instagram the other day of a woman. I get all these exercise posts. It's like they know that I need to exercise. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just telling you, I get like the weirdest suggested people to follow. I'm like, why do you guys think I need to lose a hundred pounds? Like I, I really, I only need to lose like 15 pounds, but I'm getting all these like before and after, like people who've lost 300 pounds type of like things. So I see these before and after things. I'm super like, wow, good job. You know, that person did that awesome thing. Good for them. And so I saw this one, um, this one, and this woman said, um, this was so profound to me. She started jogging every day for an entire year. She, she walked and then it kind of turned into a light jog by the end of the year, very slow, but she did it every day, no matter what. She did not lose very much weight. This woman was very, very overweight when she started. She didn't lose very much weight, but her body shape changed in a way that made her, it was just like, dude, I want to celebrate that. And so someone would look at that and say, you know, that's not a very big change. And they'd say, I don't want to do this every day if I'm not going to, like, when am I going to see the results? When am I going to feel conditioned or strengthened or you know when am i going to see or hear from god clear you know it's we we'll get on this thing okay we're going to fast and i'm going to pray three hours a day and then it lasts for five days maybe a week maybe two weeks Um, we do this thing where we overshoot because we want this big result but then we're looking in the mirror and we're not seeing what we want to see quick enough So my other theory is that we don't celebrate the simple consistency. Mm -hmm. I think that something that you do every day, um, and, and here's a, a, here's a, a, a free tip. You can set an alarm on your phone every day, pick your favorite number, three, 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 whatever, you know, (laughs) have an alarm that goes off and start by praying for one minute when your alarm goes off for your family. Now, if you're praying for your family every day and you're like, all right, that's not challenging. All right. I actually have a window where I can look out and see my neighborhood. So set an alarm where you go. And at that time you go to the window. It's a time when you know you'll be home where you're going to go to the window You're gonna take one minute and you're gonna pray over your neighborhood. Like make it very simple but just do something 
that you can do every day. Add one thing. To me, that is a, that's really a big deal. And God is really looking at that. That consistency area, I really think that's America's problem. Mm. Fast track diets, fast track, right? It's like this crash, this crash mentality. You know, we're going to consume books, even, even pastors, man, it's like, how many books can you consume? But like, did you walk it out? Did you, did you go talk to anybody? You know, did you, you know, it's like, did we exercise what you learned? Mm. It's like, do you know what I'm saying? This, This consumption, you know, and then with COVID, it's even worse, right? We can go to church 12 times a day. We can just (laughs) do messages. We can consume podcasts. We can consume all this stuff, but then we don't have the time to actually practice it. So my challenge would be consume less. Except for this podcast, of course, right? Right. Only this one. Yeah. Okay. 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 That's cool. I just want to make sure. Keep going. This one every day. But, you know, consume less and be consistent. I think that's the epidemic that we're looking at. One of the things that just jumped into my mind based on what you're saying is the importance of community when you're doing extraordinary prayer and fasting as well. Like it is a team sport as well. That's one of the things we talk about. It's like prayer and fasting within a movement is a team sport. It's not Mm -hmm. everybody just praying and fasting on their own and hoping that you know we might be praying some of the same prayers but when we get together and we aim our hearts in a central direction but not not only just praying towards the same thing but there's that built-in family that's saying how's it going yeah are you adding that one extra thing what are you stuck in with your prayer right now where 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 do you feel like you need to be strengthened what what's another way i could equip you or help you or walk with you in this I mean, have you, what would you say to, to prayer and community as far as this goes? Yeah, good segue to, uh, <laughs> number two. Great segue, man. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, that's the other thing. Uh, it's funny, I was just telling my husband yesterday, I was like, hey, I know that personal trainers are really expensive, but like if I had somebody that was going to meet me at the gym, <laughs> right. I would totally go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Right. And I think that's another that's another key. You know, if your team is or even just a couple friends. Right. I have a group um, we have we are on WhatsApp. I just have a real small group um, for daily accountability and we just encourage each other. We're going through certain passages of scripture together and then we're sharing what we're getting out of the passage. We're sharing our revelation with one another. And um, but because I know it's like you have that WhatsApp group staring at you, you're going to respond to it. And when you have, so for me too, the group is also accountability because if I'm supposed to be going through these passages that we're discussing, I'm going to be in the word. If I'm going to be hearing revelation because I got to share it with my group, I'm going to be in prayer. So I think that this accountability area is actually another big reason why we need to pray as a team, um, you know, as a family, whatever, whatever that looks like for you. Um, but that's another reason why you can't only pray alone. Mm-hmm. You have to have accountability for your prayer life. If nobody's watching you, it, nobody, you know, um, in the house of prayer, we're in Kansas City, right? So everybody knows I have. So in the house of prayer, um, there's two main types of, of worship sets you'll see. One is an intercession and one's a worship of the word. Well, as a singer, as a prophetic singer, you're singing the scripture. 
Well, if you're not studying the scripture off of the stage, do you know what happens when you get on stage and they're going through a scripture and everybody's singing, Nothing but singer happens. two is just sitting there quiet. Yeah. Singer two's got no new revelation. Singer two is singing the same thing they sang last week. Jesus wept. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. <laughs> 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 that's right that's right and so that accountability of a team it it forces you in the word it forces you to go after fresh revelation fresh oil you know mm. knowing that you're going to be interacting with others in prayer yeah man <laughs> my wa- my watch is going off right now I oh, have yeah. it, no, no i just i have it set for 8.55, 11.55, and 2.55 every day so that I stop just to slow down, recenter. So that's not coincidental. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. Show us, your, show us your routine. What does that look like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Brian. <laughs> oh, was that a direct question? <laughs> no, no, no. No, hey, we're, we're interviewing you here, Lucy. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm turning red. Uh, you talk. You talk. <laughs> Okay, no. So that's that's really good. What other what other aspects of um, team prayer, you know, what, what does that look like on the ground uh, for movement leaders and everyday missionaries? And so, that's a really good question, because every context is different. Mm-hmm. I've spent the last few years um, trying to identify different rhythms of prayer that different um, leaders in in countries have. Um, based on your context, you might not be able to gather in person with people. One of the cool things with COVID is over the last several months, uh, people have really broken out of that box of not meeting together. So people have been able to come together online and they normally didn't do that because of these restrictions. So one of the things I've seen is leaders gathering with their teams actually more often because they're able to meet online yep. or seeing some kind of creative strategies. Um, we have teams that meet every day, two to four hours per day wow. before they um, go out uh, looking for persons of peace. We have teams that um, for because of their nature where they're restricted um, only meet on special occasion. Uh, some teams meet weekly. So I'm talking about in-country teams, mm-hmm. uh, international teams. Uh, you know, we meet as often as we can. I have different levels of leaders. You know, we have prayer strategists that meet. Uh, we have prayer strategists that meet with ground workers uh, to engage and pray and prophesy over them. Man, I sound uh, like I, I want to hit pause on that. <laughs> prayer strategists. How do I get that job? <laughs> I mean, it sounds like, um, you know, I, lo- I love our languages underground, so it has this sort of covert sort of feeling anyway, but now it's like we're bringing in our prayer strategist to determine <laughs> how we're going to drop these prayer bombs on people. <laughs> or wait, how do you say it? Artillery prayer? It art- it's, art- <laughs> it's artillery, Brian. You're the one that pronounced it oh, wrong. You see what I deal with here? That's so good. You know what? I um, I guess it's like that's my world. So I never thought of like how strange that word could sound. Um, I should break that down. I didn't even tell you like, so that's kind of like my job title, right? Like, so right. I'm a global strategist for disciple making movements in restricted nations. Yeah. Did you take that all in? Yeah. <laughs> it's like a so 
I'm, I am a pro strategist specifically for movements working with Muslims in restricted nations. Right. Okay. So when you think about the strategist's role, think about that you're, we're all on a ship. We're fishing, right? Because duh, we're supposed to be fishing. And you have a guy at the mast steering the ship. Um, we would call the guy at the mast the prayer coordinator. Now, the prayer coordinator is a very administrative role. So Disciple KC may decide, hey, we need to have a prayer coordinator. And that would be someone who would be engaging different networks with you guys, setting up prayer meetings, da da da, things like that, coordinating prayer efforts. Now, now you have another person who's actually up in the crow's nest. And that person has a telescope and can see far and wide. Mm. That person um, has a prophetic apostolic gift. And so that person is going to see where we're going, when we're going to go there, what are the things that we need to do, where's the rocks that we need to avoid, where does the ship need to go, and communicating down to the coordinators. So I operate at a strategist kind of level because of my gift mix mm. um, and because I have multiple coordinators that I work with. Uh, and so I am networking with people all the time, but um, I'm really big on delegating. I'm a visionary. So your strategists would be even within your network, within the Casey Underground Network, you would really want uh, a prayer strategist who's working with, um, you know, your movement strategist. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to, we used to think like this. Um, the Lord called me to go to Africa, so I'm going to go to Africa. When I get there, I'm going to build a building. I'm going to, and I'm going to get some people into the building, and we're going to pray. But a prayer strategist thinks like this: Where are people, for no reason, going, moving, leaving everything behind because the Lord put something in them to go to this place and to pray there? Now let's go see. Okay, there's an unusual amount of missionaries that are what we call intercessory missionaries on the earth right now. It does not make sense. Why are people up and moving to a random country? I'll just pick a random country, okay? Let's just say Morocco. Why are there 25 people moving to Morocco to set up a house of prayer and pray there? That makes no sense. So so we kind of flipped the script and said, where on the earth are random people praying that soil must be being prepared for a disciple-making movement. Mm-hmm. Now, this is what gets me really excited about Kansas City. Amen. Why has there been 20 years of 24-7 prayer in this city? Come on. Why? Soil's being prepared. Because this city, this city is a seedbed ready for movement. I'm not telling you there will be movement in the future. I'm saying it's done. I'm saying there, there's no question that the harvest isn't ready here because there's been 20 years of continue. And not only that, but there, but whenever you see division, I don't look at division. Christ came to divide. Listen, why is there division at IHOP? Why is there division amongst the quote prayer movement? Well, division just creates more prayer movement. 
division just means people leave IHOP and go start their own little house church meetings, their own little prayer groups, their own little houses of prayer. Do you know how many houses of prayer there are throughout the KC metro area outside of IHOP? I lost count. I don't know about you guys. So whenever a bomb happens or a division or people get mad, they leave, whatever. I don't care. It doesn't matter. What matters is that the prayer actually multiplied. Mm. It's not like a wet blanket went down on the prayer movement. It, yeah. it multiplied prayer. Mm. So in the KC metro area, my point is this. Of all of the places in the United States, I feel very strongly. I could be wrong. I don't have the numbers to prove this. I feel very strongly that the Kansas City metro area has been primed for a disciple making movement for many years many years it's been ready preach it and i don't think that you need to create any kind of prayer strategy mm. i think i think what we need to do in kansas city is equip people who are already praying to understand that discipling is okay so here's here's my here's if you want to know my mic drop here's my mic drop <laughs> There's five-fold ministry. Yeah. Okay. Where in the five-fold ministry do you see a prayer warrior or an intercessor? Yes. You don't. Where do you see discipleship? Hmm. You don't. Because nobody has a get out of prayer free card. And nobody has a get out of disciple making free card. Mm -hmm. Disciple making and prayer are one and the same, and every believer is called to do both. Mm. That means, if you if you can make this deduction with me, that means that every believer in Kansas City who's praying needs to understand that disciple making is the Great Commission, and that they're not apart from it, mm. and that every person in disciple making needs to get a prayer life. Ooh. Because when these things come into alignment, the, there's fire. Mm. So I I'm a little passionate about about equipping people of prayer in disciple making movements because here's the secret that the most powerful prayer i mean the bible gives us gives it to us is the prayer of agreement where two or more are gathered if there is agreement among two people then we have so when we say strategy let me tell you the strategy get agreement mm. Get two people to agree on the same thing. What are we in disagreement about? How we're going to win Kansas City. So let's just get rid of the ideas and the programs and the methods and just get rid of all that. And let's just go real. Let's just get real simple and say, it's the Great Commission. We're called to disciple nations. Can we all agree on this one scripture? Now, if we can unpack that scripture and people are praying now, now people, you know, are getting on the microphone at IHOP and all their different prayer communities and they're praying for disciple making. Mm. Now, all of a sudden, I believe our prayers are even more powerful and effective. Yeah. Mm. I just kind of moved us into strategy a little bit, um, not on purpose to segue, but kind of segued into strategy. My hip pause. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we... I know we were doing our best to schedule this one, but I feel like we need round two. Man, that was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> you just said a whole lot of things that we need to walk away with and process and think about for a week. Um, so we've uh, 
we've got round one in us and we're going to invite you back for round two because we need another we need another round of lucy uh i don't i don't have much more on this i'm like my mind is spinning in all sorts Mm. of circles do you have anything to wrap this up with man i i mean i not often are we both kind of speechless. So I'm, so I'm trying to figure out like. Rarely are the two of us in the same room speechless. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and part of it is you're a well, just a, a wealth of information, and so a lot of this is like we covered a lot of things in 45 minutes. Um, the things that jumped out to me, you know, just really focusing on. Okay, we need to under we need to hear the voice of God. We need to know how to hear the voice of God so that we can respond in obedience, and thus includes in our in our life on mission how we expect to know where to go and who to interact with and who to pursue and what persons of peace are where if we don't know the voice of God. Um, and so we skip over that often because, you know, it's uncomfortable. We don't see results immediately. And so maybe for, for many of us on a personal level, that's, that's our big takeaway. Let's, we need to press into that. We need to go back to that and say, okay, we need to figure out how to hear the voice of God. Um, but at, on the flip side of that, the last thing you were mentioning was, okay, we, in many ways, Kansas City, let's zoom in in our city, Kansas City's soil, in a sense, is as prepared of any soil we know of here in America, which I've been saying for a long time, too. Like, we're going to look back a few years from now and say, why is there movement in Kansas City? Because there are people praying for prayer. decades. Yeah, that's right. You know, like, and so I, I agree uh, 100%. And, and at the same time, there's a lot of unity in the church here that you don't see in other places. There's a lot of really cool stuff happening in Kansas City. And I feel as encouraged as I've ever felt. And just we're, we're pushing forward a little bit. We're pushing forward a little bit, which is actually our first couple podcasts. <clears throat> we, we talked about mindset, momentum, and movement. It's like, what does it mean to have a mindset of movement? What is actually full-blown movement? What does that look like? Well, I feel like we're in between those two things. We're seeing momentum. We're actually seeing things happen uh, after years of trying. I think we're seeing some things happen. So those are those are huge things that jumped out to me. Um, I think we're going to end this podcast yeah. and say, Lucy, we'll see you again soon. Yeah, I think everybody is... is uh has got something to hang on to. So join us next week when we get round two of Lucy Boston. We're going to go figure out, man, what question to ask next. Thanks for listening to the Underground Podcast. We hope that it's either been an encouragement to you or that it's created a curiosity about what it means to live into a missionary mindset with an aim to make disciples and see the church emerge. If you're a missionary or a microchurch in Kansas City and you're looking for coaching or just belonging within a network, we'd love to connect with you so we can learn about what you are doing and how you are joining Jesus for gospel saturation in this city. If you're outside the Kansas City area and have questions about what it would mean to catalyze a disciple-making movement, that leads to the emergence of microchurches and every network within your city. We'd love to connect with you as well and offer whatever resources might be helpful to you. You can find out more at kcunderground.com. Grace and peace, friends.